Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. For all you elk hunters out there, Chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt and find more birds this spring. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. From Meat Eaters World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review with Ryan Cal Callahan. Now, here's Cal. Red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky at morning, sailors take warning. This basic rhyme implies you can predict the weather based on colorful sunrises and sunsets. If you haven't heard this one, I want to know where you've been hiding. Spencer Newharth tackles this one as part of his fact checker series, which you can find only at TheMeatEater.com. This divine adage made its first written appearance in the Bible in the book of Matthew in a confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees over their demand for a sign from heaven, Christ offers up a tongue-in-cheek meteorological tip. When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Bazing. The text implies this was already established wisdom, making it, at minimum, two millennia old. It's most often viewed as a saying for mariners, but there are other iterations of the phrase that replace sailors with shepherds. Weather systems generally travel from west to east around the United States and Canada, so when the sun rises and illuminates approaching clouds to the west, there's a system headed your way. On the contrary, when the sun sets and illuminates departing clouds to the east, it means the storm is beyond you and fair weather will follow. Here's a complex explanation. When the pressure is low, the atmosphere will have lots of clouds and a few aerosols. When pressure is high, the atmosphere will have few clouds and lots of aerosols. Because of its long wavelengths, red light is more easily scattered by clouds. Because of its short wavelengths, Blue light is more easily scattered by aerosols. So, red light indicates low pressure and bad weather. 
while blue light indicates high pressure and clear skies. 30 to 60 degrees latitude in both hemispheres experience westerlies. This means the winds blow from west to east. 0 to 30 degrees latitude in both hemispheres get easterlies. This means the winds blow from east to west. This saying then only applies to northern North America, southern South America, most of Europe, and part of Asia. It would be backwards for Central America, most of Africa, all of Asia's islands, and most of Australia. This fun rhyme is surprisingly accurate for part of the world, but it doesn't address scenarios where systems move from north to south, south to north, or east to west, or get pushed around by mountains and bodies of water. It also doesn't account for other particles in the atmosphere that could alter sky color, like dirt from a farmer working up a field, or smoke from a burning mountainside. In other words, uh, you're still guessing the weather. On the big map, where's my map? It's just green. No, there's a map there. Look, look at the monitor. Ron, where's my legs? Where are my legs? Y- your legs are there. I don't have any legs, Ron. But I'll do you one favor here and give you an old guide tip. When you say this one, say it with confidence and follow it up with as little talking as possible. The old timey feel of this old adage matched with the fact that you were either starting out early or coming home late leads to very few follow-up questions. After all, those are for meteorologists. For more tips like this, check out Spencer Newhart's fact checker column at TheMeatEater.com. This week, we've got conservation history, fish hooks, giant sunfish, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. Uh, I went full out on a remodel project at my place that I told myself I shouldn't do. But here's the deal. Cooking without a vent over your range that actually vents the grease, smells, and occasional smoke to the outside is just no fun. So I figured instead of constantly cleaning the grease that was being redistributed throughout my kitchen, I'd just tear it all out. Pulled out the cupboard, screwed them in the garage for more uh, shelving, ran some ducting to a proper hood, had it punched through the wall. Then my friend Nicole Daly, who has an interior design business called Haven, spelled H-A-V-N, designs. Check that out on the Instagram. Uh, Rounded up a bunch of stuff that she referred to as things adults have and decked the place out while I essentially sanded the table for two days. Now I have a real hood that vents to the out-of-doors and the exposed shelving, which, in my mind, makes for a much more efficient workspace. Plus, I got rid of a ton of stuff, and I even got to use my clean, quiet, battery-operated steel chainsaw to make some essential cuts. I've said this many times, but one of the best things about a battery-powered chainsaw is you can use them at night in your garage, and your neighbors don't complain. Anyway, plenty of tinkering left to do, but I hope that this is the last weekend dedicated to non-hunting or angling activities. I've been slacking in the archery department, and the season is just around the corner. With all of this COVID stuff and staying home, I did a great job at cleaning out my freezer, which is a good thing, but by the time September rolls around, I should be in what we call a real meat crisis. A hungry hunter hunts best. It's another old adage for you. Last week, we talked about soft plastic baits, or SPBs. I got a follow-up email from Berkeley Power Bait uh, with a one-sentence response stating, yes, they are biodegradable. So, still more research to do there. I also got a question from a listener that is fitting. 
about hooks. It is common, in my circles anyway, to cut the line as close to the hook as possible when dealing with a fish that has taken your bait or fly or whatever in way too deep or close to the gills, which means you probably weren't paying attention when the fish bit. Anyway, the fish swims away relatively unharmed, and we hope the odds of survival are higher than they would be if you attempted to rip the hook out. Wire metal hooks rust the fastest. They will eventually go away. Plated metal hooks or stainless steel hooks hang around a lot longer and in that order, but everyone could probably figure that out on their own. I was unable to find any real solid numbers as to the rate at which fish hooks decay, but suffice it to say, it probably takes longer than we would like. Here's some anecdotal fish tales for you. Uh, Back when I was living in Ketchum, Idaho, I'd go and fish the Big Wood River. If you are suppressing a chuckle over fishing the Big Wood, keep in mind many anglers, including myself, also fancied the Little Wood for a fishing session as well. You mean shrinkage? Yes, significant shrinkage. Anyway, there's a really consistent midge hatch that happens anywhere from about 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. or so on the Big Wood River all through the winter. The trout seem to be really potted up during the winter months, meaning anglers focused on fewer areas that contain the majority of the fish. While catching in some of these spots, you were bound to catch a rainbow with a snout that came up pre-stuck with one, two, or sometimes three tiny midge patterns. This was likely not a result of an angler choosing to cut the line, but of a line break. Either way, these fish were happily feeding on the afternoon hatch, despite being, you know, pierced. For a saltwater version of this, while fishing in Panama a few years ago, uh, we pulled up some sharks that had like three to six hooks in their mouths apiece, all in various stages of degradation from rusty to shiny. These sharks obviously did not alter their behavior at all, but it did make me think that there was a potential limit as to the amount of hooks in one's face. Although it would take time, it wasn't much of a stretch to see how the right tackle could inhibit a shark's ability to feed. An often cited study from 2015 out of the University of Carleton's Cook Lab looked at how the northern pike's behavior changed when it was hooked in the lower jaw, deep in the back of the throat, and when both jaws were hooked, as is often the case when a pike chooses to engulf a bait with two or sometimes three treble hooks. Using tagged fish and tagged crankbaits in a small pond, researchers were able to monitor the fish's behavior against unhooked pike in the same lake including when the crankbait was dislodged from the pike's face. The results of this singular study showed that fish hooked in both jaws and deep in the back of the throat shed them within a couple of days, while the pike hooked only on the lower jaw could retain the bait sometimes for the same amount of time. The conclusion they came to, which sounds reasonable, is possibly due to the fact that the pike were unable to feed by ignoring the situation when the bait was hooked in both jaws or in the back of the throat, which meant they expended the energy to get the bait out, and it took a couple of days, while the pike with the bait in its jaw could still feed and thusly chose not to expend the energy of dislodging the bait right away. Barbless baits were dislodged very consistently within the first 24 hours. The behavior of the hooked pike also didn't differ much, if at all, from the unhooked pike. Lots of tales about anglers catching the same fish multiple times. So, like most things, a common rule here is, if it feels like you're doing something you shouldn't, 
Like you don't want someone to see you ripping a bait or hook or a lure from deep in a fish's throat. Don't do it. Cut the line. As we have covered here before, our waterways face many, many issues that could have much larger population level effects. Things that could change fisheries or stop them forever. But recreational angling, no matter how you prefer to do it, isn't likely one of them. So long as you buy your permits and licenses, follow the rules and regulations, pick up your trash, which includes preventing things from becoming riverside or river bottom or oceanside or ocean bottom trash, uh, then, you know, we're going to be all right. Something like, you know, you can fish for trash fish and cook trash fish, but don't replace fish with trash. A lot of people think that getting life insurance means you're insuring yourself for yourself, but it's actually the exact opposite. It's insuring yourself for your family. So if something happens to me and I'm not around anymore, I can have more peace of mind that my family can have some financial support. And that's where Fabric by Gerber Life comes in. More than once in my life, my journey, people have described me as an independent person. And that's how I want to stay even when I'm dead. That's how I want to be remembered. That's why I have life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash cal. That's meetfabric.com slash cal. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash cal. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called The Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit, you match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, is not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, 
on hand. Strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor. No waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at twc.health slash meat eater, but you got to use the promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater, okay, at twc.health slash meat eater. Moving on to the conservation history desk. The Sierra Club, one of our country's oldest conservation groups, recently announced that it is coming to terms with its founder, John Muir. Muir is more than just the Sierra Club. The Sierra Club is an organization that now boasts more than three and a half million members. John Muir is considered one of the founding fathers of what we call conservation and the national park system, specifically Yosemite. So for all that good stuff, these enduring legacies that we love today, what the heck could be the beef with John Muir? Well, amongst a lot of the good ideas regarding land, water, and wildlife conservation, were some profoundly bad ideas and beliefs regarding the so-called proper order of the races, massed in selective breeding science called eugenics, which was an idea that has been around forever in agriculture, taking the animals that make the healthiest offspring and keeping them in the herd. But if you took a look at how eugenics was applied to humans, something the Nazi party really picked up and ran with, it included the sterilization of races. There is such a thing as modern eugenics, which involves altering human genomes on an individual basis, and I'm sure beyond. Anyway, now at this point, you could say that Muir was just committed to science, and the science was flawed, but that just isn't the case. Just like what we see today, science is a little word with many meanings that can be used for good and for bad, in this case, bad, as again, it was a way to discredit, oddly enough, every race, at least to some degree, other than Anglo-Saxon. You ever notice how in these like cult-type situations, there's always someone or a group of someones who decides it's better for all if they alone take on sexual reproduction for all? That's just a side note. Anyway, Muir wasn't alone here. Many of our notable figures in conservation shared similar beliefs, Theodore Roosevelt being another. In fact, one of my favorite conservation organizations that does an incredible amount of good for everybody, the Teddy Roosevelt Conservation Partnership, or TRCP, is obviously named after him. Roosevelt fought for national forests, championed the idea of preserving wilderness and national parks, but he was a white nationalist. Roosevelt despised slavery, but didn't think America was for the blacks. He gave the Native Americans up for people that would go extinct, which he likely thought was rightfully so. So what does all this mean? No, we don't partake in cancel culture on this one. We don't throw away our national parks or national forests because they were founded in part by men who didn't see them as what we see them for today, which is a place for all. A listener wrote in with a link to a very well-written article that can be found at melaninbasecamp.com titled Challenging the White Narrative of Conservation, written by a moth, Juf. Among many well-written points, 
The author lays out the fact that black indigenous peoples of color are largely not choosing to recreate or visit national parks because at the inception of these foundational acts, that of national parks, there was not an even playing field. There was not a welcoming precedent set from the beginning. Black indigenous peoples of color were not welcomed from the get-go. In fact, forceful removal of indigenous people had to occur in most of these places in order for a national park to be conceived of in the first place. Consequently, within BIPOC families, multiple generations did not visit national parks. So, when we look at participation levels amongst the BIPOC communities now, according to a study published by David Scott and Kang Fei Jerry Lee, using U.S. Census Bureau data and National Park Service Visitor Services data, less than 2% of national park visitors were black and less than 5% non-white, Hispanic, or Asian. That study was published using data compiled until the year 2015. I think it is important to note that national parks have experienced record attendance year after year since this paper was published, but there would have to be a pretty darn monumental shift in habits for those numbers to change significantly. Now, if you were saying, as I will tell you I did, how does this make sense? Public lands are open to all people. Why aren't members of the BIPOC community taking advantage of all the things that I take advantage of? I think part of the answer to that lies in the historical context, which, again, the author Amoth Juf lays out pretty darn well, which kind of gets wrapped into like a heritage argument for me. Like, your family started going to national parks, uh, it became a tradition, and that's what you did every year, like just once a year, or sometimes a bunch of times a year. You know, if we look at the issue of recruitment among hunters and anglers, the challenges sometimes go up when we have generational gaps within a family. And that can be boiled down to simply like we lose stuff. All right. Second generation hunters and anglers have access to mom and dad's stuff. Third generation hunters and anglers have access to mom and dad's plus grandma and grandpa's stuff. In this case, if dad's generation didn't fish or hunt, but the grandkids wanted to try it out, grandma and grandpa's gear may be outdated and dusty, but it's still in the garden shed or the garage rafters, right? Meaning that typically it's harder to say no to trying something new when you have some tools at your disposal. The case that Amoth Juf, the author of Challenging the White Narrative of Conservation, lays out is some of these national parks from their inception, starting with the ideals of their founders, were not welcoming to several generations of the BIPOC community, meaning the tools of the trade, The traditions of visiting a national park have not been in a family since before the great-grandparents. The pictures, the picnic baskets, binoculars, roadmaps just don't exist in some trunk or forgotten shed at this point. Making, again, the decision to try something new much harder because it's not foundational to the family. A well-written article, and there is a whole lot more to it. Uh, You can find it in its entirety at melaninbasecamp.com. Thank you to Heather P. for sending that one in to askcal at themeateater.com. Next up, the access desk, and this is a big one. The Meat Eater Land Access Initiative, that thing where all proceeds from the purchase of Ranella Putella's campaign merchandise will go to providing more hunting and fishing for America. Well, we finally picked a spot that will indeed provide more hunting and fishing This one is all the way out in Maine. 
I've been working with Brent West of the High Peaks Alliance to get the full picture of a not-too-big piece of ground called Shiloh Pond, which is located outside of Kingfield, Maine. So why? Why this spot that I already said isn't all that big? Well, for some context, the state of Maine has long been vacation land. This is where the original American destination hunters and fishers would escape to from the big nasty stinking cities. Although 91% of the state is privately owned, state law, at least for now, allows de facto trespass. Meaning, if the land is not posted, even though it's private, people, by default, can trespass upon that land. As these large tracts of land have been divided and sold over multiple generations, more and more of these properties have been posted. The traditional way of Maine hunting, the big woods whitetail deer stalking, is at risk. The longtime residents of Maine who live the hunting and fishing life could foreseeably lose their traditional hunting and fishing lands with the introduction of new state legislation, as in changing that trespass law, or if a new tradition of posting your property as no trespassing is instilled in the big, famous Maine North Woods, which again, are largely private. Shiloh Pond and the road to it currently provide multiple-use access. The property is 215 acres, 68.2 acres of wetlands, 20 acres of Shiloh Pond itself, and there is a smaller adjacent pond on the property of about 1.68 acres. There's free-spawning brook trout, there's loons, shorebirds, moose, bears, beavers, amphibians, white-tailed deer, ruffed grouse. I saw lots of pollinators in the form of bees and butterflies. Most importantly, this is where many folks from the local area learn to paddle and fish. The property is spectacularly clean, the people self-police, they take pride in it. I believe that this is an ideal little spot to start with for Meat Eaters Land Access Initiative. Even though it is small, it has the potential to start a new tradition of securing public access on actual public ground. We will have a lot more details and some fun, exciting ways for everyone to get involved coming to you from the meateater.com as well as our collective social channels. Uh, if you listen to this on Sunday or Monday, be looking for all sorts of info on uh, Wednesday or Thursday. And last but not least, from the Cool Critter Desk, just a fun one to send you off with. There are three species of ocean sunfish or mola mola, all of which can be found but are not exclusive to Australian waters. The ocean sunfish is a free-swimming bony fish that can reach 2,200 pounds and 6 feet in length. This is an odd-looking fish as it can be as long as it is tall. In fact, the mola mola has the fewest vertebra in its spine-to-body ratio than any other fish. It is often described as a head with a tail. Here's a fun fact for you. The ocean sunfish produces more eggs than any known vertebrate. They're capable of producing 3 million eggs in a single spawning cycle. That is a lot of eggs, and until recently, we were not entirely sure where they went, which seems kind of odd for such a big fish. Well, recently, researchers in Australia were examining tiny larvae samples, which, out of curiosity, were checked against a bumphead sunfish and found them to be an exact match. 
the larvae were in fact the tiny offspring, the developed eggs of the sometimes 2,500-pound, 10-foot-long mola mola, and they measured only about a sixteenth of an inch. This discovery means a couple of things to me. All those Australian surfers, while they're out dodging great whites, probably inhale these, could be giant fish, or get them shot up their noses when they get tumbled in a wave. And of course, big mysterious things can come in small packages. That's all I've got for you this week. Thanks for listening. As per usual, you can find me, you can let me know how I'm doing, what I'm missing, and what is going on in your neck of the woods by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's askcal at themeateater.com. I'll talk to you next week. outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks, sent right to your door visit mauinuivenison.com that's m-a-u-i-n-u-i venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order